You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Chris Neal. So I was doing some research because I was interesting. Anything that is alive and active can communicate. So I was thinking about all the things that are alive and active and how they communicate and all that stuff. And I thought, that's, that's probably true, God. That's, that's good. And then I stumbled on one thing that is alive and active but cannot communicate. So if any of you have ever been a teenager or seen a teenager walk down the hall between 4 and 5 a.m., even though they're clearly alive and active, it is physically impossible for them to communicate. The more I mess with younger kids, the more I'm convinced that is true. But everything else in this world, according to the Bible, is alive, it's alive and active, can't communicate. And so each time we read the, the Word of God, like God is trying to speak to us. And even in a relatively small book like Titus, God can still speak to us. And so we're going to jump right in this morning. Does anybody remember the way that we started reading the Bible a couple of messages ago and the way we're going to try to read the Bible coming up in this new year? And Tommy talked about it. He may have had on his beret last year, last, last week. Them, him, me. Good job. Them, him, we, me. And so we're going to jump right in to them. And so when I think of them, I think of theme because they're kind of similar. Just how my brain works. It may make it more difficult for you. I don't know. <laughs> but I think of them, I think of theme, like, lots, like what's going on in the story, what's the characters, what's going on in their world, and how can I learn more about their world. And, and it's also really important for us to remember at this point when we're looking for them is that we are stepping out of our like 20-ish, 20-ish world and we're stepping back into this, this world that's way, way back. And so we want to step out of our world and do our best to step into their world and then, and then try and figure out what does all this mean to them? What did the story mean to them? What is the context and the characters in this story? And this is probably going to take some work, some time, some energy, some effort. Lost half of you already. No. So this is going to take some time and energy and effort. But it will pay off in the long run, I promise you. Hashtag payoff. Throw that out there and we'll see what happens. But Titus is, is a, a book, and it's really short. It's only three chapters. And I think sometimes we kind of skip over these little books like this and and, but that's one of the reasons I wanted to learn more about Titus and who he was and what's going on in his book. Also, it's interesting to me that Paul wrote the book for Titus. His name is just on it, but Paul wrote it. It's actually a letter that Paul writes to, to a young preacher, pastor named Titus. And, and Paul, man, he's written some, a lot of the New Testament. He's got some really hard-hitting like, stuff that we read, and, and many of you know about Paul, even if you haven't weren't raised in church or around church much, but... So Paul wrote like Romans and Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians, Corinthians, Thessalonians. Like he wrote all these. And even though the book of Titus isn't that big, but if all scripture is alive and active and useful for teaching and, and correcting and training, then the book of Titus is worthy of our study today. And it could be like, like Titus is this deep track hits that we're getting ready to play today where only the super loyal fans of Paul in the New Testament kind of dive in and read that. So put that on your playlist. But if all scripture is alive and active, then it's worthy of our time. 
And so before we jump in, I wanted to figure out who is Titus, because you really don't hear his name that much. And I wonder, is Titus anywhere else in the Bible? And so we found out that Titus is in Galatians 2, 1 through 3. So this is Paul writing again. And Paul says, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And Barnabas is kind of tall, Paul's like leader, mentor guy that he has hanging out with him, uh, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private, in private to those who were of reputation for fear that somehow I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so here's what we learn from this little passage of Scripture about Titus. So Titus was a companion of Paul's, and he joined Paul on his mission to preach to the Gentiles. We learn that Titus is a Greek, which means, which means he is a Gentile. So if you're a Gentile in this room, raise your hand. Yeah, most of us are Gentiles in this room. Unless you're Jewish, online, Gentiles, raise your hand. And so, but Paul was preaching this gospel, and even with Paul preaching, Titus did not find the argument for a grown man to become circumcised, especially in this day and time. I think that's, that's acceptable. So we put circumcision aside, and then, then we look at some other important facts. So Titus was a Jesus follower, and he helped Paul on his journey to preach the message of the good news to the Gentiles. And Titus's name here is important as well because Titus's name means honorable or title or honor. So take that little tidbit and store it away and we'll use it here in just a few minutes. But his name means honorable. And so we fast forward just a little bit and Paul, he's out of prison now and, and he's out of the Roman prison yet again. And he's wandering around talking to people, catching up on all the news and, and all this stuff and they're handing him all the news on these stone tablets. He's like, oh man, this is some bad stuff. Anyway, some people come up to him, and they're like, there's some crazy things going down on the island of Crete, Paul. And Paul's like, what, are you kidding me? And so Paul sends Titus with this letter, Titus, that we're reading today, to the island of Crete to get things back in order. And so Crete is like 135 miles long. It's about 40 miles wide. It's just a small island. And out on Crete, there's, like, there's troublemakers, and, and there's misfits, and then there's also these native Jewish people, and they're all kind of hanging out and living together on this island. And it's important to know this, that the island of Crete at that time in history was kind of like Vegas on steroids. It really was. Like, there's crazy things going down on the island of Crete. And so Paul, he had been there several years before, and Paul went through the island, and he started all these little home churches, and then Paul takes off, and he gets the home churches going good, and then he takes off, you know, and they're, and they're doing pretty good when he leaves. And so then he gets the news, things aren't going so well. But over time, what had happened was the culture of the island was starting to make its way into the churches. And over time, the Christians are no longer living like Christians. Instead, the Christians are living like Cretans. And so this is what one of the Cretans said about themselves in Titus 1.12. Cretans are always liars. Always is a big word. Evil beast, lazy gluttons. The philosopher Cicero, with his time on the island, he says this. He says, the rules of life are so backwards 
that Cretans, they regard robbery as honorable. And so the Cretan culture has this stigma that they are just like immoral and they are deceptive and they are liars. And the Christian believers on the island are starting to be infected with this culture. And it's starting to influence the people within the church. And so either consciously or, or unconsciously, at some point, the culture of the island is starting to make its way into these small home churches. And so Paul, he sends our man Titus, a young pastor, to an island where he's trapped. I love that part. <laughs> Whose name means honorable to a place where there was no honor so that Titus might restore the honor of the church. And that's the them for me and what is going on in the book of Titus. That's the major players and the characters and kind of the history kind of looking over in their world. And so next we move to him. One person knew it. That's good. So we're making some headway. Uh, so when I think of him, I think of heart. I think of heart of God. That's what we're looking for when we're looking for him. We're looking for the heart of God and what God has to say about whatever passage or text or story that we're reading in the Bible. And one of the first things we got to do when we start looking for him is we got to be very careful not to make assumptions when we read one verse and say, that's the verse, that's the one I'm standing on, and not, and not really looking at the whole gospel as like this collective work. And we think about what we read and what we've read, what we read before, and when we tie all this stuff, to, this stuff together, and we think about the stuff that we learn, and then we try to discern what the heart of God is in this passage. And here's why Paul had sent Titus to the island of Crete. Titus 1, 5 through 8. It says, for this reason, I, <laughs> I left you in Crete. That's just funny to me because he's on an island. He's the pastor. That you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach. We'll talk more about that in a minute. The husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of indecent behavior or rebellion, for the overseer, the leader, must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable. And here it is, loving what is good. Self-controlled, righteous, holy, and disciplined. And so Titus is on this island, and this is what he was sent to fix. Titus was sent to start out teaching the leaders of the church why grace matters. Teaching the people on the island why grace matters. And why God's grace over time should lead us to living more and more like God, reflecting God to the world, rather than reflecting the culture of the world. And over time, this should really help us to... To slowly get purity in our life. And I know that's a big word, but it should start to transform us. And over time, you should really start to love doing what is good. The book of Titus is really interesting after you read it a few times. The book of Titus is a book about why doing good matters and why doing good matters to the heart of God. And so after today, go home or sometime this week, read Titus. It's like three chapters. But every time you see the word good, star it, highlight it, underline it, count it, however you do it. But what you're going to see is that this is a book about why doing good matters. And there's this theme of do good. And so chapter one is about doing good in the church, and you start with the leaders. Chapter two is about doing good in relationships and with those around you. 
Chapter 3 is about spreading the gospel, also known as the good news, to those around you. And so Titus, he was sent to Crete, a place with no honor, to bring honor and to act honorable. And that's really one of the first things we can do to bring honor to the heart of God. Is by choosing to do good works when we know what we should do and by honoring God because God is good. But this notion of, of grace led to this underlying problems for Christians living on Crete. This notion of, of so if I'm saved and salvation is, is by grace and salvation is a gift from God and it doesn't have anything to do with, with good works, then why should I worry? Why should I care about doing good works or acting good? And that's a good question to ask for the island you know, and for us today. I mean, if God's grace is free and we are saved by grace, then why does it matter how I live? Why does it matter? So if I sleep around, text women at all hours, whatever, if I have bad morals, if I'm treating my family bad or if I just leave them, none of that matters because I got Jesus. Hashtag Jesus, right? And all that he's done for me because Jesus, he saves me. It's all about grace. And surprise, that wasn't just a problem on the island of Crete. It's a problem right here in East End and all over social media. And this is where it gets kind of dicey. We got to think through some things because you got to remember this. We are never saved by doing good works. But people who are genuinely saved, it always results over time into them doing these dynamic good works. You should see the good in your life. I mean, this is what happens when the spirit of the living God comes into a human being. And then over time, you are slowly transformed. And over time, you start to act differently. Over time, you start to speak differently. Over time, you start to think differently. Over time, you really raise your kids differently. Over time, we see things in the world differently. One of the greatest compliments I ever received is my mother-in-law. She looked at me. She raised her eyebrow, and she said, there's something different about you. And then she just walked off. <laughs> I was like, that, that miss was the greatest compliment I ever had in my life. <sighs> so anyway, because she had seen, uh, this might be too much, but she had seen the Chris who had a long stick with a wiffle ball on the end of it, wiffle ball bat on the end of it, because I was a goat farmer. So she'd seen that Chris, and then she'd seen the Chris transform. And I'll just leave that with you. But this is why doing good matters, because people are watching. And, and so Titus, he starts with the leaders in the church, and he starts to, you know, to, to, to train them. And, and some of you guys are like, thank goodness it's the leaders. This is messages for Chris, for the band, for people. No, 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 for the people back there in the child care. No. Look at somebody next to you, and I want you to say this with passion, that you are a leader. All right, and now look at your second favorite person that you didn't talk to and look at them and say, you are a leader online, hashtag leader. You are a leader in this church. Listen to this. You are the greatest Christian someone knows. Yeah, you are the greatest Christian someone knows. If you're a mom or a dad, you're the greatest Christian your kids will ever know. On the job site, at work, in the park, at the gym, at the restaurant, in the car, 
You're the greatest Christian somebody knows. You are a leader. And, and you may say, well, I don't know about that. You're a leader. And you may not be ready to be like an elder or, or someone who like leads small groups or any of this kind of stuff. But man, you're a leader in this church. And so what do leaders do? Well, Titus tells us. Titus 1, 7 through 8. It says, for the overseer, the leader, must be above reproach as God's steward. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, here it is again, loving what is good, self-controlled, righteous, holy, disciplined. And those five, I call them not phrases, are, are really the heart of God in this message. Because a leader is someone who is not overbearing. They're not quick-tempered. They're not given to drunkenness. They're not violent. They don't pursue dishonest gain. And at the heart of all of that is the heart of God. Is that when we follow Christ, we should look more like Christ over time. When we live out the gospel, it, it slowly starts to define who we are. It's like this person or this couple where they start and they get their own house in order first rather than worrying about everything else around them. We always tell our kids, you got to get this plank out of your own eye before you can worry about the twig in your, in your brother or sister's eye. Like you got to work on yourself. It's a man or a woman when they're in a relationship. They're not texting other people. And they're not flirting. Like They're trying their best to live a sensible life. It's people that don't go around gossiping, looking to stir the pot. It's people that you don't always have to worry about being right. Sometimes it's okay just to move on. People that don't drink too much wine or other addictions, like sex and drugs and alcohol and comparison. Comparison is one of the worst addictions. Who we are when no one is looking is really kind of the measure, the starting point for the good in our life. Yeah, that's a tough one. This is a man or a woman who even at great personal cost, they try to do what is good, what is right. Even on their taxes, they're like $500 away from getting another 1000 or whatnot. And they don't feel like putting the right numbers down, but they do it. And here's the rub. Because we also want to be winsome. We want to be kind. We want to be loving. We want to be generous people who reflect Christ to the world. And that is the friction in this story. That's the friction on the island. Can you feel it? Because deep inside, like each of us, we kind of know most of the time what really matters to the heart of God. We really do. The hard part is when you walk out those doors or the doors to your house or you get out of your car, is living it out. And so that's the hymn in this story to me. And so next, what do we talk about? Them, him. We. When I think of we, I think of word, word of God. These may not be helping you at all, but anyway. The Word of God. And so what is the Word of God saying collectively to the church, to the body of Christ, to grace? Like, what is God saying? And how should the church, the body of Christ, all of us, interact with this passage of Scripture, this story? And like, what does it mean to us? Titus 2, 2 through 6. It says, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and perseverance. Older women, likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands 
so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And here's my favorite part. Likewise, young men, can you just be sensible? That's what I, I just need you to do sensible things. But this is what it looks like, when, like for an older man, an older woman, or a younger man, a younger woman, to do good in the church. Like, and we could spend a whole series on this stuff right here. But what it boils down to is this, is that people in the church who want to live godly lives, this is how you should act, and this is how you teach others to do the same. You live it out in front of them. And, and these people are people that are working on their character and their integrity over time. And this is cool because your ability to increase your character and your integrity is limitless. It's one of the only things in your life that is limitless. You can always improve your character and your integrity. And this can all sound kind of overwhelming because you're like, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect. But there should be some area in your life where God is challenging you, where God is trying to transform you. There should always be some area. Older men, like, you got to find a younger dude in this church. And you know what I mean? Like, your 50s, 60s, it could be, like, 2013 or something like that. I mean, it'll be like, that's probably not a good age. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. you got to find somebody younger, and you got to lead, and you got to mentor them. And you got to find somebody older who's wiser to lead and mentor you. Older women, you got to find somebody in this church or out there somewhere to lead and mentor you. you got to read books together. Go out and, and, like, have lunch or dinner together. Like, do things together. Get a small group together. Grow in your relationships with these people. That's how you do good in relationships. And it's funny to me, this, the church says, uh, for young men, just be sensible. Some translations, they say, uh, just be self-disciplined. But young men, like the, these desires that we have for, for wealth and sex and power and stuff, that, that all has to be brought under the power of God through a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. Or it's never going to work out. Trust me on that one. But church, when we live like this, the heart of God breaks into our church. The heart of God like beats in our church. And this, and this, and this grace that comes into our church, it becomes our teacher. Like we start to live more self-disciplined, sensible lives. And that's the theology of grace. That's why doing good matters. That's how grace transforms the church. And over time, that's what we should be looking for. Like, where is the good in our church? Where are we transforming ourselves and others? And that is the we in the, in the, in the book of Titus for me. So lastly, what is it? Me. Thank goodness we're finally to me. That's where we all like to start is me. God, I need a word for me. I'm in trouble. Help me, please. Right? So them, him, we, and then me. And I really believe that if you'll stop and pause for a moment and ask God to give you a word that can transfer, help transform your life, or maybe God's building on some, some words that are, are working on transforming you, like this can change your life forever. It really can. One word from God can really transform your life. So let's pick it up in Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And for most of us, I think this can be kind of intimidating because I still mess up and I still fall short, right? 
But I also do my best to admit when I mess up and, and to like apologize when I mess up or when I fall short. And I also do my best to try a, and live a sensible, like good, godly life. A life where God's grace over time is why doing, God, why doing good matters to me. And this isn't like the goody two-shoes kind of good and the goody two-shoes kind of love. No, to me, this grace, this saving grace that I've been given, it produces in me like this love for other people. It's a great love over time that has developed. To me, over time, this grace helps me love my enemies. To me, over time, this, this grace helps me to love people that do, they, don't, they don't necessarily act or think like I do. But I always try to find a way to love them. This kind of love cares about people around them. This is the grace that has radically transformed me. So I'm not the man I used to be. Amen. Not the man, not the man I want to be. But I'm way closer than I've ever been at this period in my life. I'm not perfect, trust me. But I am super different than I used to be. When I was younger, I'd drive around my number one finger in there, like just in case somebody needed it, right? As I've gotten older, I've calmed down. And sometimes you just got to look back over your life and say, thank God I'm not who I used to be. And it's God's grace that has produced that kind of life in me. And it's God's love that has produced that kind of, like it's the love of the power of God in me, living in me. And that same power that, that lives in me is available to each of you. It's available to each of you. All you have to do is have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to talk with you more about that. But God's presence in our lives it radically transforms us over time. And that's why doing good works matter. That's why doing good works matter to the heart of God. If there's no transformation, then we got to pause and look for the good in our lives and search our hearts and ask God. But there's got to be some areas in your life where you're being transformed and where you're really being challenged by God's word. There's got to be some places in your life, man, where maybe you're trying to grow in generosity. Some places in your life where you're being challenged to really get out and serve in the community, to serve here, to make a difference. And so during this last song, I want to challenge you guys to ask God to help you search your hearts and to celebrate where the good is. Because celebration is awesome, too, for all the good things in your life and all the good things that you're doing. But during this last song, man, don't leave here with any of this stuff still shackled to you. Like there'll be people over here to pray, over here to pray. The, the kneelers are open. Like, this is your time to run to the altar, to run to God, and leave it all here this morning. Don't walk out those doors the same. Walk out these doors transformed. Amen? If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, Thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.